What's up, guys? It's our radio show in podcast form. If you haven't, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, subscribe, rate, review, do it. Send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. You got free koozies coming your way. What more can you ask for? Pretty damn easy. Appreciate the listen. We'll talk to you soon. Safeties drop really deep. Handoff sermon over the left side. Big hole. 30. First down. 25. 20. Breaks a tackle. 15. 10. 5. The minister is into the end zone. Preach. Mason takes the ball, fakes the handoff, fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman, and he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State's Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line. Jesse, 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line. Touchdown, 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him. Hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score. Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter. And the Horn Frogs now go up 13-7 in advance. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. Somebody get me to Big 12 Media Days already, would you please? Uh, do I have to start counting this thing down? We're inside a month, I'm thrilled by that, but it still feels in many ways like a year away. Pete Mundo back with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's always good to be here with you as we grind through the summer months and we inch closer and closer to media days when the season, I believe at least, unofficially begins. And if you haven't checked us out, heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And we have so many great things coming up this fall. I mean, between the coverage we have with myself, Matthew Postens, Cam Brock, Derek Duke, and Dave Beal, the tailgates we're going to be doing, there is a lot of exciting things in the works through Heartland College Sports. And I hope you'll uh, be a part of that whole ride with us because it's going to be a lot of fun as we get closer and closer to the 2018 season. So a couple of places to touch on. First off, sports betting is continuing to draw some of the headlines. A congressional hearing on sports betting is being scheduled for next week in Washington, D.C., And the NFL is among those invited to testify. No word on if any college football conferences or leaders are going to be in the mix. But a lot of what's going on here is trying to basically prepare for the fact that so many states are going to be legalizing sports gambling in the coming months and the coming years. Now, one thing I don't understand is politicians and senators like Orrin Hatch in Utah announcing he's working on sports betting legislation focused on protecting the integrity of sports. Here's the problem when politicians get involved with things they don't know about. The integrity of sports is naturally going to improve by legalizing sports gambling. Because all of a sudden, if some Big 12 official decides to go down to his local sports book and place a $10,000 bet, and then he wins that bet, hey, guess what? It's going to tip off a few people, is it not? You know, it's way different than going through a back-end bookie through the mob or something like that. Let's be honest. It's a totally different element here. So you have these politicians wasting time on things they should not be wasting time on. If I was them, I would simply make sure that the states are going about this the right way and the states are being smart about it. And by that, I mean making sure that they aren't just setting up shops on Main Street 
across various states and saying, hey, come down and place your $50 bet here. You know and I know that's not going to work, at least not with the under 50 crowd. You know, am I going to go to a physical location and place a bet if I can still pop up my phone and do an offshore bet in the span of 60 seconds? No, not going to do that. Unless it's like some incredible casino type setting like the MGM in Las Vegas where you can sit there and you can watch a million games. That's kind of cool. But if you don't have the atmosphere for it, I'm not going to the shop. I'm not going to the physical location. The states have to make sure that they have mobile ability to place their bets. And that should be one of the biggest focuses for any state, whether it's New Jersey, Delaware, or eventually the Big 12 states like Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, and West Virginia. I think the states out here are going to be slower to come about it. But I do believe eventually it's going to be happening across the board. And you could also see this happen on a regional basis, kind of like the lottery, where you have Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, let's say, come together on legislation for sports betting. So it's even across the board in all those states. There's still a lot to be determined, but it is something that we have to watch closely and we'll watch closely because as college football fans, as Big 12 fans, it's, it's going to be a big deal. And since the Supreme Court ruling, Delaware and New Jersey have already begun offering Las Vegas-style sports betting. And the two states right behind them, Mississippi and West Virginia, they are expected to be open for business at some point this summer. So Mountaineers fans, get ready to place those bets on Dana Holgerson and Bobby Huggins. Might make you a little nervous. I'm not sure I'm betting the mortgage on Dana Holgerson to cover a spread, but I do love the Mountaineers this year, and you guys know that. A team that I have questions about this season is none other than Oklahoma State. And I question if this is going to be a rebuild year where the Cowboys end up going 7-5. and five. I really do wonder that. Yeah, I don't know what Drew Brown is at quarterback. I don't know what Spencer Sanders is at quarterback. He's not even on campus yet. And what Mike Holder said last week, the athletic director, he told this to our friends at Pistols Firing Blog. Mike Holder at Oklahoma State said, You've got to give Mike Gundy credit. He's really matured into a difference maker as a coach. I would approach recruiting a little differently than he does. I'd want to finish higher in those recruiting rankings than we consistently do. I think that ultimately puts a ceiling on what you're able to achieve. I think sometimes we settle when we don't have to. And guess what? Mike Holder's spot on. I mean, Mike Holder could not be any more accurate when he comes out and he says that this program is under-recruited. They have. And I've been banging this drum for months, if not the last couple of years. Think about Oklahoma State. The highest they have finished in the 24-7 sports composite recruiting rankings since 2008 is 25th. And that was back in 2011 when they, that was before they almost made that run to the BCS championship game. And you want to compare, this This is, I think, the best comparison right now. Matt Rule is doing better at Baylor on the recruiting trail than Mike Gundy is. Mike Gundy, who has won 10 games in three straight seasons, is recruiting worse than Matt Rule, who's coming off a one-win season, who's dealing with massive allegations of rape across campus with his football team, of course, under the previous regime, but still... One of the biggest black eyes we've ever seen in college football, and Matt Rule is recruiting better than Mike Gundy. That's simply unacceptable. 
And if you're an Oklahoma State fan, I don't care how big of a Gundy guy you are. I'm a big Gundy guy. If you've heard me on this show, you've read me on Heartland College Sports, I'm a big fan of Mike Gundy. I think he brings a unique ability to Oklahoma State to put that school on the map on a national level. Yes, he's done well on the field, but his quirkiness has helped brand that university. Unfortunately, it has not translated into big-time recruits. It hasn't. And for all the defenders that want to say, well, look at what Gundy does with two-star players like James Washington or three-star players like James Washington, that's great. Or two-star guys like Justin Blackman and Brandon Whedon. That's all well and good. And by that thought process and by that theory, think about what Mike Gundy could do with four- and five-star guys. And I know you want to sit there and you want to say to yourself, well, he's trying to get the guys that are right for the program. He's trying to get the guys that are fits for this program. But there is a reason that Alabama and Clemson and Georgia have been at the top of the recruiting rankings year in, year out in the past couple of seasons, and look how it pays off. Sure, there are teams like Notre Dame and there are teams like Texas that over-recruit and underachieve. We know that. But you're telling me Mike Gundy should not be recruiting at at least a top 25 level? At the very least, I think he should be a top 15 to 20. Oklahoma State's the kind of team that should be recruiting in the 18th-ish range every year by those 24-7 composite rankings. And they don't. They're like 35 to 40 every year. This past season, Gundy finished 38th in the 24-7 rankings. Baylor finished 40th. That was in 2017. This past year, just a few months ago, Rule coming off a one-win season with the Baylor Bears and scandals across the board, finished 30th in the recruiting rankings. Oklahoma State was 33rd. you kidding me? With those programs, with the talent that they get to pull from between Oklahoma City and Tulsa and then down into Texas, you can't – and the success that they have had – 30 wins the past three years, almost making the national championship game just six seasons ago. And here's the problem. After that near run of the national championship, that's when the recruiting should have picked up for Mike Gundy, and it did not. They can do it right now. I mean, they've had incredible success, but they did not capitalize on a season where they almost reached the BCS national championship game, and that was a big, big letdown for the Cowboys. And while Gundy has turned guys, under-recruited guys, into NFL players, if we also look at the numbers, Barry Trammell at the Oklahoman had this. In the last 10 years, 19 Cowboys have been drafted. That's the same as in the 1980s when they won 70 total games. Compare that to the past 10 years, the Cowboys have won 96 games. Mike Gundy has not done a good job on this, and he's got to be called out for it. He does. Yeah, he's done a great job, and he's won a bunch of games, and he's put Oklahoma State on a level it hasn't been at. But with the money that's been pumped into that program by T. Boone Pickens and the success that they have had on the field, they should be now recruiting better, and they should not be heading into a potential rebuild the year like they are right now. I think the Cowboys have the third best odds to win the Big 12. To me, that's way too high. Way too high. I'd probably put them somewhere around fifth or sixth. Because I think this team is going to not have a, well, yeah, they're going to have a setback compared to last year. And I don't want them to. You know, I, if Oklahoma State wins, I'm happy for them. 
But that's just the way I've seen this play out and how I think this year is going to go for the Cowboys. And it's partially because the recruiting has not been consistently at the level it should be based on the success that's been had. Pete Mundo here on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Coming up next, Tim Fitzgerald, GoPowerCat.com is going to join us. A lot to talk about with the Kansas State Wildcats. Keep it right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Back on Heartland College Sports Weekly, I'm Pete Mundo, and we now say hello to a friend of the show that's Tim Fitzgerald. You know him from GoPowerCat.com, of course, covering the Kansas State Wildcats, but also his new website, his new blog, LifeOfFitz.blogspot.com. And, you know, Tim, you launched this personal blog, you launched this personal website of yours, and immediately you dive headfirst into some heavy personal news that you're dealing with prostate cancer. And, and, you know, before we get to the Wildcats, the, the serious story here is that you're battling this. But your take on this has been, I thought, very unique and very positive and something that you clearly are looking to uh, inspire people by. So how did, your, how did you wrap your mind around this and try to spin it in such a positive direction? It's been an interesting journey. A good buddy of mine who went through this a few years ago uh, actually went through it before age 50, which is extremely rare. You know, mentioned that uh, the worst part of the cancer journey takes place in your mind, and that's really true. And it's you know set off about a depression, which I also wrote about in my blog. And uh, you know, just your mind takes you to bad places. I have a I have a particularly aggressive form of prostate cancer, which is a little bit rare. It's moving very fast. We caught it. Uh, we knew essentially around May first that it was you know something serious because my PSA score was escalating so quickly. So we're, we're getting that sucker yanked out and a prostectomy, which sounds really fun, on uh, July 3rd. And that's that's pretty quick moving for a three-month process of, you know, diagnosis and, and uh, you know, getting some resolution to it because they don't want it to get outside of the prostate because once prostate cancer spreads, uh, it can get, you know, very bad very quickly. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to talk about depression because of the Andrew Bourdain thing kind of hit a nerve with me. And that's reached a lot of people and, and, you know, asking them to not be ashamed of it, go seek help and kind of counseling others on hand, how to handle people that have depression. Uh, but also telling guys 50 and over particularly, do get your PSA scored, man. You, got, you know, it's an easy blood test. Just know what, know what it is. Um, maybe you will catch something because I caught it by sheer luck and probably saved my life because uh, if I hadn't, that this cancer could have spread pretty fast. Um, and, um, if you're healthy, at least you'll have your baseline PSA score. And uh, as the doctor told me, if you live long enough, every man's going to get prostate cancer. Mm. Um, and so that's just how we work. And that way you'll have a baseline PSA to know that uh, if you're at 8 now, you were at 1.5 a few years ago, and that really helps the docs know what's going on. He's Tim Fitzgerald. Of course, his uh, Twitter handle is Life of Fitz and his new uh, personal blog, lifeoffitz.blogspot.com. And that's something that you should be checking out as he's going to take you through his battle with prostate cancer. And it's, uh, it's you know, you read the two things he has on there right now about that battle and about Anthony Bourdain, uh, both very powerful stuff. And Tim, now I want to dive over into the uh, Kansas State Wildcats and everything going on there uh, with this team, with this program. You know, people talk about it all the time. When is Bill Snyder going to be done? I, I think that, you know, we can always have that conversation. But let me put it to you another way. If the Wildcats have a impressively or exceed expectations, let's say win a 9-10 games, with the 
upperclassmen that are on this team that are potentially and likely gone after this year. Is this the time for Bill Snyder to kind of move on, or is it just a year-by-year, day-by-day basis? Um, You know, I think he's just going to go till he doesn't go anymore. I think he's just kind of reached that point at this point where it it is what it is. He's he's not going to really retire. He's just going to... You know, when Bill Snyder can't function anymore, that's when he'll quit. I think he's just decided to keep going forward, just keep doing his thing. And and uh, I don't think he ever wants to retire again because that was a mistake. And, um, you know, it's funny you bring up how talented this team is. They do have some, you know, senior talent, but really they've got a lot of junior talent that returns. And in some ways I think 19 might be the really big season out of this group. Because this year, if you, if you look through the schedule – that's brutal. You know, you do get Mississippi State at home, but you go to Oklahoma, TCU, West Virginia. Uh, this is their tough, you know, stretch of the Big 12 Conference when you play five on the road and four at home. Um, and the five on the road are particularly, you know, gruesome at times. It's a really different situation for Bill Snyder. He's, he's got, uh, you know, a, a younger team. He's got, you know, unproven quarterbacks, even though they've kind of shown they can play big games because they were both backups last year. We've got two new coordinators, so there's some you know rare ground for him to be treading across right now. Tim Fitzgerald, uh, Go Power Cat, and Life of Fitz.blogspot.com, joining us here on the show. Now, Tim, you talk about Snyder basically going year by year, and this is it. He's not going to retire again. I guess is I know Bill Snyder's never going to have the Wildcats in the top 25 of the recruiting rankings. That's not how he does business. But is that good for the program to be going year by year like this? I don't think so. You know, I kind of stirred up a little. Uh, trouble by saying, you know, I didn't think it was a good thing um, that, you know, it would be best for the university just to kind of know what's going on every year and not have to worry about this. Uh, but this is what he wants to do. Nobody's really going to tell him no. Um, so here we are, you know, you'll find out at the end of the season what he wants to do. You know, last year we had some people reporting that he was going to come back. And, like, uh, you know, he hasn't told anyone he's coming back, so I don't know where you're getting that information from because I don't think even his family knew. I don't think he really knew at the time. I think uh, now he's kind of arrived at the idea that he's not going to go anywhere anytime. So um, I think uh, you know, we'll, we'll have Bill Snyder at K-State for many years to come as long as he wants to keep going. It's just a very intriguing situation. Tim Fitzgerald with us. So, Tim, you know, you were at the spring game. I was at the spring game, uh, the quarterback spot. I thought Alex Dalton looked better than Skylar Thompson. I know that's not going to be uh, the deciding factor here, but, you know, not much has happened since that spring game. So as we get ready for summer ball, where do you think we stand in this quarterback race? Well, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, just from my guesstimation, if you want to say that, Alex Dalton is, is ahead slightly in this race. Um, you know, who knows really if that's for that. Uh, they're off doing their summer conditioning and, you know, leaving seven on sevens and a lot will be, you know, decided here in the summer, but really not until they get back into fall camp. So they get part of the coaches at the end full time where we know who the starting quarterback is. And then even then coach center may not bother to tell us until someone trots on the field of the first game. Uh, it's a good situation. Both kids are really good. They're, they're great young men. They're good leaders and natural leaders. They have uh, their skill sets that allow them to run the you know complete playbook for Kansas State. Delton probably you know is more the runner and Thompson more the thrower. Uh, but I think Alex Delton is improving in his throwing game in a way that Skylar Thompson just can't improve in the running game. You're not going to teach him to have the wiggle and elusiveness that Alex Delton seems to have naturally. 
Um, and I, I think that's why maybe advantage Alex Delton at this point. Plus, he's a year older, been in the program another year, and uh, there's a lot to learn about the K-State playbook. Well, Tim, uh, quickly here, we got about a minute left. And, and when you look at this team, you know, the part that concerns me the most is the secondary. Is that the unit that still bothers you heading most into this season? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, in the Big 12, uh, if you're bad on the back end of your defense, you're bad. Um, and that can be a real problem for teams in this conference. You know, if you can't defend out of the pass in the Big 12, you're just going to be in for a long, long season. They've got a lot of They've got guys that can play back there. Tensor, their safeties are, are you know, really, really good if they're healthy. On the corner, they need to sort out some answers. Uh, and nickelback, which is a big position for the way KFA defends. Because uh, it's almost like a, it's a, a cornerback playing a linebacker spot in the way they do it. Um, we'll see how it all plays out here, but this KC team could be pretty good. But as I mentioned earlier, this schedule is unforgiving. He's Tim Fitzgerald. We'll be sure to catch up with him as we get closer and into the season. Uh, go PowerCat and lifeoffits.blogspot.com to follow his personal journey as well. Tim, thanks so much for a few minutes. Always appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Great info there to Tim Fitzgerald. And coming up next, final thoughts of the program right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So I need to spend some time defending a decision that was made on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Pete Mundo, final few minutes with you on the show. It's always great to be here and good to have you a part of it. If you missed any part of the radio show, you can download our podcast. Just search Heartland College Sports. You'll find it there. Give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes. It would be uh, really much appreciated. So we listed our top non-conference games in the Big 12 for the 2018 season. And number one, well, I'll go in reverse order. Number 10, Texas at Maryland. Number nine, West Virginia versus Tennessee. That's in Charlotte. Number eight, Oklahoma State against Boise State. Number seven, Oklahoma against UCLA. Number six, Texas Tech versus Ole Miss in Houston. Number five, West Virginia at NC State. Number four, Iowa State at Iowa. Number three, Kansas State versus Mississippi State. And number two, TCU against Ohio State at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. So number one, we had as Texas versus USC. Myself and Derek Duke worked on this, and a lot of people said, there's a Texas bias here. How can that be the top game of the non-conference schedule for the Big 12? All this stuff. And here's the answer. TCU against Ohio State would have been number one, but there was one problem with putting that game in the top spot. And that problem was TCU Ohio State is not on campus. It's at a neutral site. And in college football, part of the allure, the lust, the passion behind this sport ties back to the fact that it is played on campus. And the best games, the best atmospheres are on campus, not at sterile neutral site facilities. I don't like the neutral site games. I get why teams do them. They're good for TV. TV likes them. But I don't think it does anything for the fan base. And it's not the sport at its best. The sport is at its best when it is being played on campus. So that's the biggest reason that Texas versus USC won our top spot for best non-conference game in the Big 12 this fall. If TCU Ohio State was in Columbus, if it was in Fort Worth, 
we are having a completely different story, but it wasn't. Because I agree, a win over Ohio State, a win over the top team in the Big Ten is worth more than a win over a USC team that is one of the top three favorites in the conference and yes, is a national brand, but is in a downtrodden Pac-12 and the whole thing. So on paper, the better game is TCU-Ohio State. What's put What puts Texas-USC over the top is the home element to it, especially with it being in Austin. Some people ragging on Kansas State, Mississippi State at number three. I'm sorry, that's a hell of a game. You don't realize Mississippi State has the fourth best odds in the SEC to win that conference this year after Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn. It's going to be a really good team. Nick Fitzgerald is one of the best quarterbacks in America at Mississippi State. I know Dan Mullen's gone, but that's a great test in week two for the Kansas State Wildcats to see where they are and to see where this conference is trending this fall. And Iowa State at Iowa, if they can get revenge, the Cyclones, off of that game last year, huge. West Virginia with two games, the only team with two games ranked in the top 10. And that's because they got NC State and Tennessee, an ACC program, an SEC program. One neutral site, one on campus. And we are going to learn a lot in the opening couple of weeks about this West Virginia Mountaineer squad. So a lot of good non-conference games. If you missed that countdown, it's on our site, heartlandcollegesports.com. You can check it out there. Now, each week, uh, Derek Duke does a Big 12 football mailbag for us. He releases it on Tuesdays, and it's always fantastic. And you guys are really getting involved in that. We appreciate that. It helps us, and it helps you pass through the offseason. And Derek's, I mean, I haven't talked to him about it, but my hope is he's going to do it during the season as well. Now, a couple of interesting points were brought up to him in the mailbag this week. One saying, is the Big 12 championship game really that important to the playoff hopes of the winner since it's a rematch? Well, the answer is yes. Because here's the thing. We were told back in 20, what, 13, 14, I guess it would have been 14, that Baylor or TCU, if they had played each other in a championship game, we would have known who the real Big 12 winner was that year. And that's why the Big 12 did not get into the college football playoff in the inaugural year. Now, it's since been debunked as nothing but a bunch of nonsense. And I'll forever believe that that was a total screw job of both teams. I will forever believe that till the end of the college football playoffs existence or until it expands or until basically I'm dead. That's the truth. I will believe that that was a screw job of both or one or both of those teams. But as it pertains to the Big 12 championship game, it is still incredibly important that the conference has this game. The biggest reason is perception. The first Saturday in December is championship Saturday. And if you're the Big 12, and I know TCU crushed Iowa State 55-3 in that 2014 season and then fell from 3-6, to I understand that. But the reality is also nobody was watching that game. Nobody was caring about the Big 12 on the final Saturday of the season, even when Oklahoma was playing Oklahoma State in like a de facto Big 12 championship game. Nobody cared. There's something about having that championship game that fans care about, that draw mystique, allure, interest in a game, that even if it's a regular season game that has Big 12 championship implications, People just don't care about. It doesn't feel big. And that's the biggest thing. The Big 12, 
cliche, but it has not felt big since it went down the 10 teams. And part of the reason for that was because of the lack of a championship game. So the Big 12 brought it back and it put it in the 11 a.m. Central slot, 12 a.m. Eastern or 12 p.m. Eastern slot, and it did pretty well. You know, I mean, it did overall pretty well. I guess it was actually a 1230 Eastern, 1130 Central time start. It brought in millions of dollars. It did the exact thing that the Big 12 hoped it would do. The Sooners, who were the favorite, won it, and they were a guarantee into the college football playoff. The last thing the Big 12 wanted to do was be a team or a conference that had to have an undefeated team to make the college football playoff. Now we see the Big 12 does not need that. Now I know Oklahoma accomplished that back in 2015 as well, but there was more debate about whether or not OU was worthy a couple of years ago compared to 2017. So you bring back that championship game. It's a no-brainer. The fans love it. I was there last year for Oklahoma TCU. Fans love it. You're tailgating. You're in Dallas-Fort Worth. You're having a good time. There are so many benefits to having this game. It's camaraderie. It's a chance to celebrate the conference. All these different things that were, frankly, missing the past bunch of years. So I'm glad it's back. And yes, it's important to the playoff hopes of the winner. You know, what if OU had a really close conference loss to TCU? Then all of a sudden, they're a two-loss team, but a conference champion. How does that play out? That creates much more intrigue. If not, the Big 12, I believe, will always have to be essentially an undefeated team unless you're Oklahoma or unless you're Texas with one loss. That's how the former system would have had to work for the Big 12 to get a team into the playoff. Now you can have a one-loss TCU. You can have a one-loss Baylor, a one-loss Oklahoma State, I believe, get into the college football playoff. I still think any two-loss team is going to have to be a blue blood. But the Big 12 is in much better shape when it comes to this topic in particular than it was without the conference championship game. Because if you're a school like Baylor, if you're a school like an Iowa State or a TCU, and you're saying to yourself, geez, I have to basically run the table to get into the college football playoff, that's not right, that's not fair. But now you got a shot, and you didn't have that shot previously. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks as always, guys, for being a part of the show and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, on the website. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly.